invite you to open your Bibles to James 5. James chapter 5. We're going to go over a lot of material tonight. Um, probably raise some questions that we won't have time to answer in full. Um, just so you know, that Tuesday morning, 645, I'll be at Church Street Coffee. If anybody wants to swing by and talk some more through the text, I'd love uh, to do that with you. James 5, we'll begin reading in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Even if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we pray now that through your spirit you would write it on our hearts, Lord, that you would uh, give us a discerning mind, give us a soft heart that can receive your truth. Lord, I, I pray that my words would fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered Anymore, But Lord, may your words remain, and may they change us. And I pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. One of my good friends um, started an orphanage in India, and uh, she has for many years been trying to get me to take a, a team over there to do a mission trip. And every time she invites me, she always does this little disclaimer, this little warning. She says, I need to warn you that um, you're probably going to be really frustrated and your whole team will be really frustrated. Um, and I said, why? She goes, well, it's, it's, it's because you're Americans. She says, that has nothing to do with like, the, the labor I'm going to give you or, um, or, or the manual task, anything like that. It's just when the teams come in, I typically ask them to spend the first few days in prayer. And a lot of the American teams have a lot of problem with that. They come in and like, what do you mean? I, I took all this time off. I raised all of this money and I'm coming here. You know, give me a hammer. You know, let me, uh, let me teach a VBS. Let me do something. And she says, no, I want you to pray. And she's been there long enough to realize that, you know what? A, a hammer or another VBS or something like that isn't going to really make a dent and the spiritual oppression that is going on there. What, what she needs is for God to break through. She needs hearts to be softened. She needs God's Spirit to go before and to, basically to send revival to this place. And so she asked the teams to pray. And she wants them to understand that, you know what, prayer is the greater work. It is the greater work. It is the needed work. And prayer does have tremendous power. We see prayers all throughout the Bible do amazing things. Um, prayers have called down fire from heaven. 
raised people from the dead, made lame people walk, rid people of diseases, expelled demons, rescued cities from destruction, rescued people from the mouths of lions. It has stopped the sun in its place. And prayer has given people dreams and interpreted those dreams, opened up prison doors, set hearts free. All of these things have happened through prayer in Scripture. It has a tremendous power. And here James, he's, he's getting ready to end his letter. And to end his letter, he asks us to pray. Pray so that everything we've been hearing up to this point in the letter, prayer would finally uh, cement that in our lives, give what we have heard a power in our lives to change us. Uh, if you've been here for any amount of time, you've heard me say over and over as a pastor that if we cease to be a people who pray, may God close these doors. And, and I believe that with all my heart. That is what I would want if we ever cease to pray. If we ever uh, lean towards um, entertainment or just music or marketing or something like that as a way of, of trying to reach people as some kind of manipulative power, if we ever lean on those things instead of prayer, I pray that God would shut the doors because I have no desire to be a mile wide and an inch deep. James begins this section like a rest, like many parts of the New Testament, ending their letters as well with a call to pray. For the words that we've heard throughout the book, to now have power in our lives. And James knows um, at the very beginning that prayer is hard for us in different seasons. Look at verse 13. He says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. And so James knows that, hey, there's some people, they have different dispositions, and sometimes when things are going really wrong, they don't pray. They think, I could just get through this with my own resolve, my own determination. And he said, there's other people who are just the opposite. It's when things are going um, really, really well that they don't pray. They just forget about God. And he says, listen, pray at all times. If, if bad things are happening, pray. If things are going really well, don't forget about God. Sing praises to him. You need to be, you need to be praying without ceasing. He's agreeing with Paul in this. You know, Paul in 1 Thessalonians Five says that we are to pray without ceasing. Try, try doing that just one day, to, to pray without ceasing. It's, it's kind of hard. Um, some early Christians tried doing this in a monastic community, and they taught themselves to say the phrase, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner, with every breath. So they'd be like, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. And it just became their mantra, and that is what they tried to say, unending. Um, you, you're welcome to try that. I, I don't think that's what Paul has in mind. When Paul says to pray without ceasing or to pray continually, he's using the same word that was also used to describe an uninterrupted cough or like a chronic cough that never left you. Um, y'all are familiar with what that's like because I think half the world is sick right now. Our family's just coming through it. Um, you, where you always have that tickle, like it never quite leaves you. Um, Lauren is in the ending stages of that. 
And she'll lay at night, and I'll hear her say, mind over matter, mind over matter, mind over matter. Just, just trying not to let that tickle, just, just make her cough, that nagging little cough. And Paul, when he says to pray without ceasing, that's what he's saying prayer life is like. It's not that you're coughing every single minute. It's just that the tickle is always there. The urge to do it is always there, and it will always come up. Prayer is just kind of what you do. Prayer is who you are. You pray without ceasing. That's what James is alluding to here, that we are to be chronic prayers. And then James moves to a very specific type of prayer. Prayers of healing for the sick. Look at verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. James seems to be describing here somebody who is too sick to make it to the gathering, to make it to church. Um, That's why they are... They are praying over the person. It's like the person is bedridden. And later it says that the person will rise up, will, will get out of bed. And so you have a person who can't make it here normally. They're, they're too sick to even get out of the house. Verse 16 says that we're called to pray healing for one another. So typically we're all supposed to be praying healing for one another. But for those who can't make it to this gathering, they can call for the elders to go to their house and to pray over them. And their sickness. Now, before moving on to just the application and kind of the nitty gritty of these verses, let me state the obvious, but it needs to be stated. We worship a God who heals, we worship a God with the power to heal and who does heal. Jesus healed entire cities of their sicknesses. And Jesus is still alive. He is still working, and Jesus is still healing. And James knew this. The early church knew this and experienced it. He knows the power of Jesus to heal is unleashed through the prayers of God's people. Uh, prayer, uh, think of it in this way. In a sense, it's like you, you put one foot in heaven and you put one foot in earth. Or you put one foot in healing and you put one foot in sickness. And you unite those worlds together through prayer. And James understands this. Now I'm sure that there's some here who probably have a a somewhat maybe small or large objection when you hear God still heals people today. Um, Maybe you want to believe this. You know, you've heard about a guy who knows a guy who maybe has seen it happen, but really you're just kind of full of doubt. You don't doubt that Scripture teaches that God healed in the past, but really today, although you want to believe, you're not sure. Let me just say I partially agree with you. Partially. If you read through Scripture, you see three intense periods of miracles and healings. Three intense ones. You have Moses and Joshua, the the period of the exodus and the conquest, where God's doing miracles all of the time. I mean, he's parting the Red Sea. He's he's sending the plagues. He's raining down manna from heaven. So so miracles seem to be the norm there. And then you come to a time of Elijah and Elisha, 
And Elijah is calling fire down from heaven, consuming the altar, killing the prophets of Baal. And then he comes to the time of Jesus and the apostles, and he's healing entire uh, cities of all their diseases. And each one of those periods lasted about 60 to 100 years, in which there were many, many miracles. You would say that the miraculous was the norm. Healing, the supernatural, was, was normal during these times. Not the exception. You could pretty much always count on God to do something that was going to defy logic in these points. And, and I agree with that. I see that in Scripture. But that does not mean that today the Lord ceases to do the miraculous. Yes, there are three really intense periods I would see in Scripture, but God still does heal. It might no longer be what we describe as the norm in which entire cities are being healed, but yet He still does move this way. He is still sovereign. He can still make the lame walk. He can still make the blind see. He can still cure people of cancer. He can do these things. Jesus' words in John 16 are still true. When he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Anything we ask in Jesus' name, he gives to us. Let's take a closer look at some of these verses in James 5. The first thing that might seem a little odd to us when we look at this is James seems to make a connection between sin and sickness. At the end of verse 15, he says that if a person has committed sins, they will be forgiven. This is that bedridden person. And then in verse 16, he says that if we confess our sins to one another and we pray for one another, uh, that we will be healed. And so once again, you have this sin and sickness being joined together in James's mind. And this is certainly a teaching, not the only teaching, but it certainly is a teaching in the New Testament. Often in the New Testament, sickness is a result of sin. I mean, we see this sickness came into the world as a result of sin, as a result of Adam's sin. Brought in sickness, brought in decay, brought in death. And you see that at times in the New Testament. I realize I need to be careful here, so let me go ahead and say that not all sickness is from sin. Not at all. Um, Jesus says in John 9, um, he's about to heal a blind person, and the disciples are asking, ah, so are the rabbis, Teachers around are asking him, uh, is this person blind because, uh, because of his sins, or was it his parents? And Jesus is like, well, because of neither. He's blind in order that I might demonstrate my power and that people might believe. And he heals him. You look at the entire book of Job. Job didn't become sick because of his sin. Job actually became sick because of his righteousness. It's because he was righteous that God sent sickness and allowed Satan to torment him in that way. Not because of his sin. But there are certainly some sicknesses that are a direct result of sin. We, we see that in what we would call you know, psychosomatic um, sickness. And I used to think, oh, that just means everything's in the mind. But it's not in the mind because people with a psychosomatic sickness have real ulcers. They have real stress. They have real headaches. They have real high blood pressure. 
they have a real strain on their heart. They have a real lowering of their immune system. Those things happen because of their spiritual condition. And so we do even see that now. In any case, whether sickness is caused by sin or it isn't, we need to use sickness as an opportunity to examine our lives and to see what sin is there and to confess. Because maybe God is making us weak in order to show us our weaknesses, to show us our vulnerabilities, to show us our sin. And so we need to use our sickness as a way to confess and to look at our sin. Back to the text. James says that this sick person is to call the elders to come and pray over him. Notice that he doesn't say, if the person's sick, call the healer. You know, call Benny Hinn. It's time, it's time we need to get Benny Hinn. We need to bring him in here or bring someone in like him. And it's time to pray. He doesn't do that because there are no faith healers in the church. God does not give the power to heal to any one individual. You're not going to find James saying, like, all right, it's time for you to put your hands up against the screen of the TV, and we're going to pray for you. He doesn't say you need to forward this email chain if you want to get healed or anything like that. He says, call the elders to come and to pray over you. Not the healer. As a matter of fact, you know, we, we talk about the gift of healing Yet it's only mentioned one place in Scripture. It's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, and let me read you about this gift. It says, To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles to another prophecy, and so on and so on. Paul lists these gifts. And so this this gift of healing is listed among all these other gifts. But Paul describes it differently than all the other gifts. All the other gifts are singular. Here he uses plural. He says gifts of healings. Gifts of healings. This suggests that what's happening in the gifts of healings is God is giving different gifts of healings to different people at different times for different situations. That there's no one gift for one healer. But this is something that is spread out for different situations at different time. The New Testament does not talk about the gift of healing. He doesn't intend for one person to have a monopoly on this. Instead, there are gifts of healings. And what this means is God might be putting on you to go and pray for some person. And you go and you pray in faith and you see this person healed. And then you go to another person and you feel like, I need to pray for this person. And you pray for this person and they're not. God has given you a gift of healing here and He has not given you a gift of healing here. He gives His gifts of healings at His discretion. Different people, different times, different situations. All you have to do is look at Paul. Look at Paul to see that not everybody always had the gift of healing. Because Paul did heal people. Yet at the same time, he left many people sick. He left Epaphroditus sick. Uh, He couldn't heal himself when he had the thorn in the flesh. He prayed three times, and it was not healed. 
He told Timothy, when Timothy had a, a sick stomach, he, he said, Timothy, he didn't pray for his healing. He said, take a little wine for your stomach. Different gifts of healing at different times. Now, there's a huge question that jumps out when we read verse 15. It says, the Lord might raise him up. Or the Lord, it does not say, sorry, it does not say the Lord might raise him up. It says the Lord will raise him up. There's no might about it. That when the elders come, and the reason I think it's the elders here is because if you have a sick sheep, you need the shepherds of the church to come and to, to mend the sick sheep here. And it says that when they come and they pray this prayer of faith, not that the person might be healed, but the person will be healed. Definitely. So the question is this. What about all of the times that there have been prayers of faith in which the person has not been healed? Um, I remember being around uh, a time when the elders, and not this church, I was a pastor in another church, we gathered around somebody with brain cancer and we prayed for his healing and we anointed him with oil. And uh, we're all very excited because a year later, he seemed to be cancer-free, and then in two years, he was dead. Now, in something like that, and I'm sure that maybe you all have seen this happen, does, is that because he didn't believe? Is that because, you know, he just didn't have enough faith? If only he had enough faith, then he would have really been healed, or perhaps if only we had enough faith, then really he would have been healed. Is that what it's talking about here? Well, you know, once again, you look at Paul. I think Paul was a man of faith, and he prayed three times, God will remove a thorn of flesh, and he was thorn from his flesh, and it was denied. I don't think that's why this person was not healed. I've been around um, in prayer meetings that are kind of like pep rallies, in which people feel like they have to work themselves up, really work up the faith. And, uh, and after a while, you hear their prayers, and like they're saying, you know, we, you're going to be healed, we could do this, we could do this. And, and, and really, all they're doing is trying to convince themselves at this point. Trying to convince themselves that this is really going to happen. They're trying to work up this faith. It's almost like the, uh, the little engine that could, saying, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And you say it enough, and it's really going to happen. It, is that what is being described here? Is that the prayer of faith? I don't believe so. I've heard this verse abused in that way many times. But that's not what James is talking about. Before I tell you what I think the prayer of faith is, let me just ask you, do you think it would be a good idea for God to always give you what you ask in faith? that everything that you really sincerely ask for and believe, do you think it would be a good idea for God to give you those things? Would it be a good idea for me to give my children everything they asked for if they asked for it sincerely? You know, Natalie, if, if you know Natalie, my middle child, if she said, Daddy, I really want a chainsaw for Christmas, I, I, I would love it. I've seen you use a chainsaw. It's really cool. You do a lot of good with it. You help out a lot of people with it. Um, 
and I just think of all the good that I could do with it. And, uh, and so I really would like for you to give me a chainsaw, Daddy. Please, please, I, I'm begging you. I know you'll give it to me because you're a good daddy. Now, would it be a good idea for me to give her a chainsaw? Some of you all actually nodded yes on that. It was a rhetorical question. No, no. If you knew Natalie, it's a double no. It, it would not be a good idea because of the harm that would come upon her or the harm she would inflict on others because the thing that I can wield for good, she cannot. It's way too powerful her for her. She, she would lose control of this. And so even though she doesn't understand it, I would, I would say no. But I will tell you this, I will not deny my daughter. If I have the resources, I will do not deny her one good gift ever. Anything that she asks me that I know will be for her good, I will gladly give it to her if I know it will not harm her or harm others. Now, harm might not just be physical harm. I might not say, I'm going to have to withhold that from you because I know it will make you so proud. I might have to withhold this from you because I know it's just going to, uh, you're no longer going to have a thankful heart if you always have these things. I might have to withhold things for her, for, for maybe her spiritual harm or her emotional harm. But anything that I see is for her good. If I have the resources, I will not withhold her. Matter of fact, I'm dying to give her those things. And God is the same way. He will give us every good thing, and He doesn't have any limits on His resources. But He's not going to give us anything that will harm us. Even though when we think, I could do so much good for this, He's like, it is too powerful for you. Or that would lead to pride. Or that would not give you a thankful heart. And so He withholds these things. So God is always giving and God is always good, as we just sang. So this prayer of faith here, what is it? How is it that James can say the prayer in faith will heal somebody? Well, he seems to be indicating here that there are times that when we pray for something, God gives us an extraordinary gift of faith in that moment. That is different than our normal faith. We have our normal faith, but there are times when God can give us an extraordinary faith. This gift of faith lets us know that without a doubt it is the Lord's will to heal this person. This isn't the kind of faith that we have to build up, we have to try to work in ourselves. This is a faith that is a gift from God given to us. Um, in 1 Corinthians 12, what we just read Faith is actually listed as a gift of the Spirit. Now, this is written to people who already have faith. Christians, you already have faith. But on top of that faith, there is another gift of faith, meaning an extraordinary faith that can come to people at different times. And I think that's what James is talking about here. James certainly understands that it is not always the Lord's will to heal. We know that too. You know why? Because everybody dies. Everybody. You can believe in the prosperity gospel for only so long that God always wants to heal you. God always wants to heal you. But at some point, it will always defeat you because everybody dies. God, one day, will only provide the ultimate healing for us with a new body in heaven, but not here on this earth. Paul didn't pray healing for everybody. 
He actually left Epaphroditus. He, he left Trophimus behind when they were sick. They were too sick to move. And he didn't even heal them. He just left them behind. In those cases, Paul was not given the prayer of faith for healing. Another little hint I think we have from James as to what this prayer of faith looks like comes when he gives us the example of Elijah. Look at verse 17 and 18. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So James says we shouldn't look at Elijah like he's a superhero. He's not. He is just like you and me. He had, you know, bad hair days. He probably had acne as a child. You know, he, 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 was, uh, he puts on his pants one leg at a time, okay? He's a normal guy. But God gave him an extraordinary prayer that did miraculous things. And we can pray just like Elijah. The thing that's interesting about this example, though, I guess it's what James did not choose about Elijah's life. If you read through Elijah's life at the end of 1 Kings, you're gonna, he, he did these amazing things. I mean, he called down fire from heaven, consumed the entire altar. That's a pretty big prayer that was answered. James doesn't list that. Another time, he actually raises up the widow's, a widow's son from the dead. I would have thought that would have gone right in line with what James is talking about here when he's saying elders go over to people, pray, and raise them up. I would have thought that naturally leads into what Elijah did. But James doesn't go there. Instead, he gives some little obscure miracle about God shutting up the heavens and there not being any rain. When I was studying through this, that was one of the first things I wrote down. It's like, why this miracle of all the other miracles to choose from? Why is this an example of a righteous man praying a prayer of faith? This is the best I could come up with. When you look through all the other prayers of Elijah, I mean, they're great prayers, but they're different than this one. Because this one, he actually had scripture that he could read that told him what he was doing was the exact will of God. In Deuteronomy 28, God says that the people of Israel disobey him. If the people of Israel follow other gods, he says, I will shut up the heavens. It will not rain. I will bring a drought. And Elijah, because he's a righteous man, he knows the scripture. And he knows God's people have left him and have gone after other gods. And he simply prays the word. And God brings it about. He prayed God's revealed will and faith. And I think James gives us this example so that we would do the same. Elijah's not just depending on his gut. He's not just getting a feeling that this is something he should pray for. He knows the word of God. And he's praying it. And he sees it happen. It's a prayer of faith. I bet there's a lot of people here who are like me who struggle 
in their prayer life. As a matter of fact, if I mentioned prayer and we were to do a word association, I bet one of the first things you would, you would feel, the first word that pops in your mind is guilt or shame. Because you don't pray like you should. I'm with you. I'm with you there. I want to give you a word of hope. Um, Jesus understands your frustration in prayer. He understands it. He knows what it is like to pray and for it to feel like his prayers are just hitting a wall and bouncing back to him, that God is not listening to him at all. Jesus knows that. He has experienced that. He knows what it's like to give a request and to have it denied. I mean, we see this in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is pouring out his heart to his Father and there is nothing. He is getting nothing in return. Jesus pours out his requests, and you can't get more righteous than Jesus, all right? And he's saying, hey, if there's another way, if there's another way, come on, I really would like for something else to happen. And the answer is no. No. Jesus, you will not be delivered from this. And so he was to go to the cross. Jesus was rejected, denied, cast away from his Father's presence. And the reason he was so is so that we here in this room would never be. He was the righteous man who was cast out. We are the unrighteous who are brought in because of his act. He didn't see God's power so that we might feel and experience his power. Now, though, on the other side of the cross, on the other side of the, re- the resurrection, we see Jesus is risen, Jesus is ascended, he is now seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty in power. And let me tell you, Jesus' requests now are never rejected. They are always yes. And Scripture tells us that Jesus is interceding on our behalf. We have the ultimate righteous person the one who went through hell in order to have us. He is up now, and he is interceding for us. He's taking our jumbled mess of prayers, and he's taking them, and then he is taking them straight to the Father, and he will never be rejected. And so there's our hope. Our hope is not that we would muster up faith. Our hope isn't that we would just leave here and do better, maybe wake up an additional 10 minutes earlier, and this time I'm really going to pray. Our hope is in Jesus Christ who prays on our behalf. And that Christ would indeed change us, our hearts more and more, making them hearts of prayer. Pray with me. God, we want to pray to you, not because we want your gifts, but because we want you. You. You are the treasure. You are the pearl of great price. We believe that you plus nothing is worth more than you plus something because we just want you alone. Right now, I want to thank you, God, that you are a God who still works in our lives, a God who still does the miraculous, a God who still heals, who does these things to the church. And I pray we would see that, that you would give us gifts of faith, that we would see you move in those ways. Thank you that you love us that you're good to us, and that you're always giving. 
We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.